The Citizen's Guide to the Supernormal. Maynard was thinking of actually uh, breaking into a Yankee candle and smelling all the candles, like the the weird ones you don't want to smell while people are on the store. Like the avocado one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or the one that smells like cut grass for some reason. Yeah, no, I don't, why do you, just mow your fucking lawn. Mm, right. right, I don't know, I don't get that. I mean, I'll smell them if there's people in the store, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't smell them if there were people in the store. That's well, you seem thing. like a sniffer, you know. Well, I mean, they're, they're good candles. I feel like, um... <clears throat> I'm I'm thinking about maybe like putting on some ASMR, yes. maybe somebody like opening up a uh, roll of duct tape, somebody whispering, you know, Soothing. talking real low, and then uh, you know, if the mood strikes, I'm gonna take a glass rod and shove it into my urethra, hit it with a hammer, so I can feel something other than sadness, you know. Uh, is this because you've been married for so long? Little, yeah. I wouldn't recommend that, actually. No? It sounds painful. Yeah. Okay. Fuck it. No, let's go to Yankee Candle, then. I'm good with yeah. that. No, okay, it's, cool. It'll smell better, too. We ready to start? Yeah. Let's do it. Have we... Uh, we've been recording. Yeah. Yeah, the whole time. Obviously. Oh, all right. Well, welcome back to Citizen's Guide to the Supernormal. This is a podcast dedicated to the weird, unexplained, and all things sticky, stupid, and uncomfortable. Like being a janitor on a bukkake set. Oh, yeah. Ugh. My name's Jordan. So much pine salt. <laughs> and I'm going to kick it over to Sarge, you know? <laughs> Gross. My- <laughs> Murphy's oil soap. Blah. All right. Uh, my name is Sarge. With me, as always, is Maynard. And joining Hello. us again tonight, you've already heard from our dedicated producer, Jordan. We're on Twitter, so follow us. God damn it. I'm at Bastard Prophet. Maynard is at Maynard Rules, and Jordan is at CG Super Jordan. You can follow the show at CG Super Normal. And if you'd like to contact the show, which I guess now it would kind of make sense if you got some complaints or something, um, you can hit us up at citizensguidepodcast at gmail.com. We're hosted by Branded Sports at www.thebrandedsports.com. Incidentally, you can also follow Branded Sports on Twitter because they're fucking awesome. They're at uh, branded underscore sports. Finally, we have an announcement. We set up a Patreon. So, um, Patreon, the idea behind Patreon is so that we can make money to put uh, back into our show. So what you want to do is go to patreon.com backslash Sarge the Destroyer. And um, we've got a number of tiers where you can uh, donate money and make us basically dance for you like monkeys. Uh, and if you incidentally donate $14,099, uh, you can have Jordan's job, and we will fire him. I'm not getting paid currently, so... Perfect. You know. I want to give a shout-out to the patrons who've already donated. I'm only going to use your first name, so don't panic. Allison jumped out at $10. Kimberly gave us $25, so we're going to uh, read a story to you. Uh, Michael Wrights hooked us up. Uh, I imagine his last name isn't Wrights, so I uh, I said that one. I think that's just his uh, his screen name. What if what if his last name is Wrights? Well, oh. Michael's gonna be very disappointed that I just doxed him on the internet. And then of course we have Shannon. Shannon gave us fifty dollars. She is our best friend. We love her. Holy cow! We wrote it as a joke, to be honest with you. So now Maynard and I have to write her a song. I'm I wasn't exci- even. I'm mm. excited personally. I'm I'm, I'm very ready. excited. We're gonna sing the shit out of this song. I just wasn't expecting to have to actually perform. Maynard listens to a lot of the Cure, so well, well we, we want we want to get we want to get Shannon's musical influences so we can kind of you know give her give her money. Exactly. Worth. So I want to thank you obviously for giving us money. You, we really appreciate it. We're actually gonna take the money that you guys have donated and roll it directly into us buying um, some new recording equipment so that we're not. Um, doesn't sound like we're recording in my basement, even though we are. And so, one last bit of housekeeping, and then I promise we'll get out of this nightmare. Um, if you like the episode, please review us on iTunes. 
Give us a five-star review. Give us a review. Like, actually write it down and say things about us because it makes us feel better. And also, it gives us direction to head in for the next couple of episodes. So, without further ado, I've given you a lot of bullshit to think about. Let's actually get in. Buckle up, gang. Saj has a story. On our previous episode... In 1959, nine hikers died on a mountain pass in Siberia. What killed them is evident. Why they died is as mysterious and unclear as what the fuck is going on with Sarah Huckabee Sanders' weird fucking eyes. Some of them were found partially nude. Others were found wearing clothing of their dead comrades. Some victims had staggeringly catastrophic injuries while others appeared to die in the least sexy case of exposure ever. What followed was an investigation so ham-fested they might as well have been staffed entirely by Porky Pig's BDSM club. The notorious secrecy of the Soviet government provided few answers. In mountains of wild speculation proposed by all manner of tinfoil hat-wearing dipshits. Tonight, we will cover some of these theories. Now I'm going to hand the show over to Jordan. Let's make it happen. If I, if I could, so <clears throat> I just imagine that Porky Pig's BDSM club... <laughs> if you just if you were like the safe word was bananas, you'd be everybody bananas. And I came. Anybody get a towel? Or or you'd have a black eye and a concussion. Oh man. Oh boy. All right. Also, last episode we discovered new sexual terms like geologist hammer, geologist hammer, and splitting a tangerine. And uh, don't forget the half-buried flashlight. The half-buried flashlight's another <laughs> so, one of my favorites. So, uh, have you guys added that to Urban Dictionary yet? Somebody has to do it. We got to get somebody. On I'm the, I'm not nearly somebody out there in the fan world. Fans. Please add it to Urban Dictionary, and then, um, and then uh, at the show at one of us, so we can just take a look at it on Twitter, and then we'll blast you out and we'll give you a shout out. Isn't a geologist, ham- a geologist hammer with that that guy in Shawshank? Dug out of the prison with it was yeah yeah All right. did carving so, rocks so maybe whatever it is it also involves a, a fucking poster of Raquel Welch I'm okay with that okay mm, wow. so maybe you're just fucking a hole in a poster is it that sad <laughs> that's sad that is kind of don't sad, do yeah. that don't do that All maybe right. oh you know what it is it's the the glass rod up the urethra that sounds I don't I don't know how to make that connection no that's I was just trying to make it a thing, You know what? You're not... Bananas. Anyway. All right. So, we're we're not sure why these guys died. Hold on. Hold on. Jordan, Jesus fucking Christ. Use a coaster. They're right there on the goddamn table. We're not fucking animals. This table's not even that nice. Just use a fucking coaster. I don't have to clean it up. I don't... The table's going to get all fucking sticky. They're right there. Oh my god! I'm it says fucking... Bruins fan art. I bought the fucking thing just for you. For when you come over and record, I bought you a special coaster because I love you. And fine, he's use the Boston Garden one instead. I have a second drink. Fuck face. Jesus Christ! Oh, he has two drinks. Excuse me. Jesus Christ! <sighs> fucking prima donnas. All right. He doesn't mix his whiskey yes, and his ready. water. He now just drinks whiskey and water. Yeah, yeah. right. It's fair enough. All right. So we're not sure why these people died. We know how they died. Gruesomely. I covered that briefly, yeah. Right. Gruesomely. Gruesome deaths. Horrible fucking deaths. With weird injuries, like the force of a car wreck. Yep. With no outside uh, wounds and shit. So, UFOs. What? That's, that's insane. Not, that's I'm not how I feel about this at all. Uh, you might as well just say fucking chemtrails. So uh, there's a photo that was found on one of the uh, one of the dead guy's cameras, and I can't remember which dead guy, but one of them. There was five. Six, we'll post seven. it on the Twitter when we drop the episode, <clears throat> so, so you guys can take a look at it. Referred to as frame number thirty-three. It's um, it's probably nothing. There's a little octagon in the middle, and then it looks like there's like a falling flame out of the sky. If uh, you're to believe, that or maybe UFOs- just a poorly exposed photograph. It really could have been. It could have been anything. Um, in the way to discredit this photo, some of them, some of these uh, these people are, say that in order to stop where the, uh, the camera was, they snap off a picture and nothing. And this could have been taken in the morgue. It could have been taken by accident. Nobody knows. 
But frame number 33 um, could also be a UFO. And uh, a little bit about the UFO is that uh, there are these flashes of light and whatnot streaking across the sky horizontally, in some cases, uh, floating there. And it was well reported that that happened not only on the 1st and 2nd of February 1959, but throughout parts of March. And uh, Lev Ivanov, the man who was in charge of the uh, Dyatlov investigation, in the 90s was speaking to a local journalist who happened to mention that he had requested uh, documents from the KGB uh, that had UFO information in it. Now, so... And I'm sure they just handed them, like, right over to him, right? right well... Before, hold on. Before we, um, before we go too far into the theory, I think one of the main things that we need to cover is that um, there's a lot of misconceptions about what the term UFO means. So UFO is an acronym. It means Unexplained Flying Object. So um, I think it's important because in... in um, I don't know, I guess I would say since the 50s, it's been uh, more of a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? More of a euphemism for an alien spacecraft. And I think it's important that we make the distinction that UFO is just that. It's an unexplained flying object. We don't know what it is. So we're, we're, when we say UFO, we're saying that it could be aliens, it could be... Uh, I'm not saying it was aliens, but we don't know if it was aliens. <laughs> it's aliens. We're saying that it could be, you know, maybe just a... Um, you know, glow-in-the-dark frisbee. Those existed. Did they? At some point. Yeah. Back then? I mean, uh, well, threw, I well they used to use radium. So they used to use radium uh, on um, watch faces so that you could so glow-in-the-dark. So it's possible. Anyway, uh, the reason I bring it up is just because I think a lot of people immediately assume that UFO means spacecraft, and that's not always the case. A UFO could be ball lightning. It could be a strange bird you've never seen before. Could be cosmonauts hurtling to the Earth because the Soviet Union was terrible at launching astronauts into space. There's a lot of foreshadowing in what he just said. So, all right, so let's continue. All right, so Lev did this whole thing, um, and uh, he claims that A.P. Krolenko, is a member of the Soviet Congress, and his advisor A.F. Ashtokin, Ashtokin, forced Ivanov to take out any reference to unknown flying objects or strange phenomena. That happened in, uh, he, he admitted to this in the 1990s. And it included the pictures of the spheres drawn by the Mansi hunters and other testimony of the Mansi people. The Mansi, as you recall, attract bears. No, that's, the Mansi, as you recall, are <laughs> the, uh, the Russian aborigines. The Inuit people, yeah. Right, yeah. The uh, indigenous people. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right. I used the wrong word. My mistake. So, um, it's worth noting that uh, A.P. Krolenko and A.F. Yeshtokin... Do these people just have acronyms for first names, too? Like, I they're so thorough, everything's an acronym? Um, I'm going to go with Andrew Paul Krolenko. Okay. Andre? Or Krolenko. Andre. Krolenko. It doesn't matter. Let's go on. All right, so... Um, Long show. we got to get through it. Right, right. So, um... They were uh, they withdrew various materials from this um, to completely take any question about the uh, UFOs out. One of the things that caught Lev Ivanov off guard was that when they were doing their investigation, he said, "When E.P. again E.P. What is it with the fucking names in the? When E.P. Melissa, let's just give him a name. We'll say Edward Philip." Okay, when Eddie, Eddie P. P. When Eddie, Eddie P. Melsonivov. All right, when when Eddie P. Meslinikov and I examined the scene in May, we found that some young pine trees at the edge of the forest had burn marks, but those marks did not have concentric form or some other pattern. There was no epicenter. This was once again confirmed that heated beams of a strong but completely unknown, at least to us, energy, were directing their firepower towards specific objects. In this case, people acting selectively. Can you think of a um? Like <clears throat> some kind of natural phenomenon that might cause that, cause that? I can. Okay. Are you ready for the second theory? Yes, let's do it. In a completely different theory, I give you ball lightning. Ball lightning, here we go. That old chestnut. A ball of lightning. 
a uh, ball sort of, of lightning. Yeah, yeah. So this this actually this actually has some of the most uh, some of the most meat to it as far as an actual theory that may have caused these people to run out of their tent into their death. So here we go. Presented by Nigel e- Evans. They believe there was a hot spot near the tent where ball lightning... Now, ball lightning, uh, for those who don't know, is an unexplained atmospheric electrical phenomenon, right? Yeah. Uh, it refers to yeah, reports of luminous spherical objects in varying diameters from pea-sized to several meters, uh, usually associated with thunderstorms. But they last considerably longer than the lightning that we are used to. They actually stay in one specific area and will burn. What the are the characteristics of it? Like, does it... Uh, I, I guess what I'm trying... Like, does it float? What does it do? So, ball lightning, and I we can post a picture of what ball lightning does, right? But it actually strikes the ground, but has an epicenter. So it'll... Like, looks like a floating light in the sky. Which, again, reported by the Mensi, reported by several hikers in the area throughout February and March, floating orbs of pulsating light. So what's interesting about the ball lightning theory is that ball lightning has actually been recorded uh, numerous times throughout history. One notable time was in the, I believe, I want to say it was 1700s, Colonial America. Uh, Some ball lightning was said to have traveled down the chimney in someone's house and actually kind of went into the chimney, rolled through, and uh, came into the house. So you would say that it went down the chimney without consent? We we don't make... we. Let's not cabin on this. Let's. Uh, oh, I was thinking like I was just thinking like Santa Claus. <laughs> don't don't trump up the charges here, okay? All right. All right. Well, you know, shit. Santa Claus always has my consent. That's why I leave him fucking cookies. Oh, I thought you left him cookies, so I didn't touch the booze. No, I leave him some booze too. So uh, most people leave Santa Claus milk, but I'd say fuck that. Santa Claus is cold. I'm gonna leave him a glass of nice scotch. And and hope that he forgets all the urethra playing I've been doing. So uh, <clears throat> they believe there was a hot spot near the tent, and that the camera, frame number thirty three, actually caught ball lightning striking. Right. So huh. that's kind of interesting. So uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to take a picture with a camera in the middle of the night, but you're not going to get much. So the reason the picture would be so blurry is because. This is There's why Mana does all of his uh, fetish shoots during dusk. Best lighting. That that is the best time. Right. The golden hour. Good showers. Call it. Yeah. Perfect. Golden hour for golden showers. All right. Yeah, so. Per- yeah, you've done it then. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So. Uh, <laughs> Didn't even have to bring it up. He knew. Given that the local menses. Uh, oh, excuse me. <laughs> given that the local Mansi people blamed golden orbs for the tragedy. And repeated sights of lights from uh, reliable witnesses in the same period together. They uh, they thought that what happened was this hot spot actually started to burn hotter and closer to the tent. And instead of trying to rush out and get out the door, they cut themselves out because it would be quicker. Do you think that Do you think that the ball lightning might have landed right at the door? Is that what you're saying? I'm they, sorry. No, 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 no. They, so they w- because they were so high up in the mountain the ball lightning might have been striking closer to them and where it was above them at a certain height. It may have started to exude some heat. It probably scared the shit out of them. I know if there was like a ball of lightning over my head, I'd probably not be comfortable. I got to be honest, though. I still feel like I've been camping a number of times. I don't ever feel like I would be the kind of person who's like, well, going to cut myself out of the tent now as opposed to using the fucking pre-made door. Well, when you consider that they knew where the tree line was, this is the whole part of this, right? Yeah. They knew where the tree line was. They figured they'd be safer in the tree line than right, right, right. But still, in like, a tent made of you have a door. metal and canvas. Okay. So I, they cut themselves out of the tent to but escape. But that's why I'm thinking the ball lightning might have been real close to the front door. Yeah, and was it knocking on the door? I just, I just, po- I just posted knocking a- at the door. Paul McCartney, that motherfucker. All right, continue. Sorry. <laughs> All right, so, so they uh, they hurried to the tree line. And while they were waiting there, because they had rushed out of the tent, they tried to light the fire, which is where it explains the fire at the base of the cedar to keep warm because the ball lightning was still pretty The bad. ball lightning scared them. But <clears throat> so uh, just going back real quickly, the door, um, I'm sorry, the tents, were all the tents cut open? There was only one tent. I thought there was two. No, the tent was like, 
The tent slept nine fucking people? It's like three or four meters long. That's like 12 to 16 feet. That's... Remember, they stitched it together. That, oh, that you tent weren't... got awfully sexy, awfully quick. They, they slept side by side by side by side by yeah. side. By side 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 by side. No, I got it, though. I, I knew what you were saying. Right. I smell what you're stepping in. Okay. okay. So, so uh, while they waited for the object to disappear, the two deaths at the cedar tree were due to a single electrical event causing burnt hair, bleeding head office orifices... Orifices. Or orify? Is it orify? It says orifices here. All right, fair enough. Large burns, burnt clothing, pulmonary edema, and uh, tree damage. The subsequent four deaths in the ravine were due to an explosion near the den. This is where you'll remember... This is where you'll remember that the uh, people who ended up in the ravine were on the fir branches. They had the most severe injuries. Okay. They... Force of that lightning strike may have been the same force like a car wreck, breaking all the ribs and shit. So this is a second lightning strike? Yeah, yeah. Other lightning strikes happened throughout the area. There was multiple orbs in the sky. So so, so there was the lightning, lightning that doesn't them. necessarily happen on its own. It doesn't happen by itself. There's not one ball of lightning. There's balls throughout the sky. Huh. That's so, pretty interesting. So I didn't they, think about that. This I guy, thought ball lightning was one of those things that only happened you only got one ball. No, I mean... You got the Hitler lightning. It was just one testicle. I, I literally just found a video on YouTube I thought of, him of only ball lightning ball. going across right. a field in Siberia. Really? Yeah, I posted it in our chat. We can post it on their website, but it's exactly as you're describing, just moving Yeah, slowly. we'll post We'll post that on Twitter, too. We got a lot of shit to so, post on Twitter. Maybe we should start keeping notes. Yeah. So the, the theory suggests that the people in the den were hit. They were thrown, causing the damage. Um... Apparently, ball lightning can produce up to 30,000 amps and Shit. temperatures several times hotter than the surface of the sun. Um, I've not tested that theory. Um, I mean, with that heat, though, that would definitely explain, explain them um, you know, slicing the, open the tent to get away as opposed yeah. to going it's out the It's possible door. that these guys, these four that were dead in the ravine, were thrown 6 to 10 meters. With the blunt force trauma similar to, to car accident, the what they refer to as borrow trauma. Well, the other thing to think about, too, is that they're on a mountain pass, which means that, you know, being thrown 6 to 10 meters in that area, you're going downhill, too. So you're not just being thrown 6 to 10 meters on flat ground. You're being thrown 6 to 10 meters and down at the same time. Right. And so uh, they also say that, you know, Dyatlov and Ludmila and Zoltarov, Sasha, right? That's Sasha, the, yeah, I think, though. I think they, so. uh, they stayed alive for quite some time. Um, but maybe this is why all of them had that tanned hue to them when they were found. Um, I mean, maybe, but that could also be sun damage because, um, I mean, when could you go been. skiing, you know, you get, you get, um, a ski, a ski tan. Yeah. You so know. could be and, anything. Anyway. So, uh, that's, that's the, the ball lightning theory Okay. in a nutshell. All right, we're going to let that marinate. We're going to go to um, a quick commercial break. But before we actually go to commercial break, one of the things I want to bring up, too, is uh, please buy one of our T-shirts, since this commercial is going to be for Branded Sports. Please go to Branded Sports and buy a Citizen's Guide to the Supernormal T-shirt. The money goes um, partially to us to support the show and partially to uh, the good people at Branded Sports to keep that website running as well. So please make sure that you pick up one of our T-shirts. It would make us super fucking happy. And then send us a picture on Twitter or or on Instagram, on Instagram I'm at uh, Sarge the Destroyer, and um, send us a pic of the T-shirt. We'll be super happy and we'll call you out in the show. I'm gonna create a new Instagram called Sarge's Privates. Yeah, please do. That's gonna be that's one of the just be, It'll be Sarge's Privates. Me, me and Maynard will just be Sarge's Privates. <laughs> okay, <laughs> done. And then you know, send an email to the show and let us know T-shirt ideas. Give us a couple ideas. We got a couple of good ones we're coming up with, but uh, if you've got All other right, ones, they're waiting for a commercial. Fine, fuck it. You know what? Screw you guys. I'm gonna go smash my dick. <laughs> this episode has been brought to you by www.thebrandedsports.com. Go to brandedsports.com. Check out all the stuff they got. They're a pretty fucking awesome website because they're sponsoring this fucking podcast. I apologize for all the swears, but if you're from New England, you'll understand. Thank you, and have a wonderful fucking evening.
All right. All right. So um, here we are. We're back. Jordan, hit us up with uh, theory number two. Great. So we talked about Sarge's Privates. We talked about the, the T-shirts. Get a fucking T-shirt, you sons of bitches. All right. We talked about UFOs. UFOs. It's never UFOs. It's never UFOs. It was UFOs. It was UFOs all the time. And uh, we've now ASMR. talked about uh, we've talked about ball lightning. Ball lightning. <laughs> this isn't one of those. Sorry, you said, you said ASMR, and I, I, I just I just flipped the switch. Fine, I'll get the roll of duck. Tape. If I if I said EDM, would you start coming in with like a fun? There we are. All right, all right. So, uh, this this whole segment's gonna be dedicated to one theory. And then uh, we're gonna throw a little surprise in there, but there's a. Uh, a I've theory. done that before. They don't always appreciate <laughs> us. <laughs> Yikes! So uh, I would not. I mean, that's uncomfortable for me to even talk about right now. I just. I was just talking about a thumb in the butt. What are you talking about? The thumb in the butt. I'm not interested in the thumb in the butt. I'm just. That's because you there. just don't know how to potty. You don't go. You don't go to the second knuckle. It's just like the first one. All a right. bit of pressure. All right. So the best. The best theory comes from Moses Axelrod, uh, who has the best name. So he's. I don't oh, know Jesus. if his name is really Moses, but his name is biblical and a flower. I'm very happy for him. I would m- have much rather his name been Car Ramrod. I feel just, like if his name was Moses Axelrod, though, like he should be a badass blues musician. I don't know if it's if it's actually Moses Axelrod. I think like Moses might be like a nickname, and then Axelrod's his real last name. Regardless. You just blew my mind. All right, continue. Right, so Moving the, on. the best theory comes from Moses here, uh, also referred to as Axelrod in the interview. He was a friend and fellow student and mountaineer of Igor Dotlov. Um, the two traveled together in the past, and he was invited on the trip but couldn't attend due to a previous commitment. He was potting the Red Sea at the time. So the reason Axelrod postulates... Jewish people find their house. He also wrote a bunch of words onto some tablets made of stone. I'm yeah, not. They were very heavy. I. You carry two of them. What are you What are you doing? It's good that there was only ten commandments. Right. Imagine if it was like twenty five commandments. He would need a backpack. Well, he. They're probably you need a baby Bjorn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With his air Jesuses. <laughs> so some Jesus Tevas. So uh, I mean. Oh. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> Pouring too loudly for the show. So, um, indeed. There were probably 25 commands. Maybe he dropped a tablet or two on the way back. He's like, you know what? Fuck this. No one cares about abortion. If you are born before a certain age and you hear the word tablet, we're not referring to iPads. That's we're true. referring to blocks of stone that the uh, Flintstones used to write and do their homework on. That all of our laws came from. Yeah. Written by people who didn't know where the sun went at night. All right. So uh, he postulates that... The group fell victim to an avalanche. Based on his travels with Dyatlov, his knowledge of the planning of the trip, and his experience as part of the search party, Axelrod assisted with the planning of the trip, by the way. Um, Nothing suggests that the trip would have gone off without a hitch. Axelrod stated that Dyatlov was a professional, almost. And uh, it was clear that something went wrong. the what was his first clue, the fact that no one came back from it? When it was clear that something went wrong and uh, Dyatlov 9 didn't come back, UPI initiated the first search, not the Russian government. He said the, uh, the Institute organized the search and under the general guidance of the famous Zverdlovsk mountaineer Evgeny Polokopopov. Gesundheit. Maslenikov. Oh. Right? Oh, maybe this is EP, guys. Oh, there All it is. All right. So EP. No called EP. EP Maslinekov. Ripes. Maslinikov. I don't know. Fuck that shit. I must say the searches were, were built tactically flawlessly, he said. Four search groups crossed the intended route of the Dyatlov group in various places, which made it to, possible to determine how far the tourists, these are what mountaineers are called in Russian as tourists, how, uh, how far the tourists went. The fifth group followed their route exactly. And then he says, skipping ahead, it was that party, the fifth party, that found the Dyatlov group storage, the Labas, because you'll hear me say that again, in the tent. Axelrod's group, his search party, was dropped off on Ortorton. He walked several kilometers and found nothing. And there was a plane that circled overhead that dropped a canister with a note that said, 
Found empty tent and skis on side of mountain, 1079. Axelrod's party went to that site and immediately knew that the nine had died. Axelrod immediately knew that this tent was theirs because in 1956 he helped stitch the tent together. So nothing seemed out of place. The tent was laid down carefully on top of skis. And in the corner of the tent was a diary. The last date of entry was February 2nd, 1959. The base camp had been set and the hikers had ascended the mountain with a light amount of gear and storage because they had intended to return to the base camp within two days. Okay, right? So we've all heard this story before. Yeah. <clears throat> they, um, so they, so I guess this is maybe where I thought the second tent came into play. They had set up a second tent uh, down. There was a second storage, okay. but yeah, it was a, it, it was, was a storage tent. It wasn't like a real tent. Yeah. Okay. So, um, on the first day of the search, one kilometer down the slope, the base of a mighty cedar. What he refers to it was the stiff course. Now the sex act, just so we're clear. The mighty cedar. We've got five Dude. from this story now. Uh, I'm gonna give it the mighty cedar later on. At the base of the mighty cedar <laughs> were the stiff corpses of Krivoshenko and Doroshenko. The stiff corpse, man, we're really <laughs> nailing them tonight. Really, you're nailing stiff corpses, huh? <laughs> they don't. They don't. They don't move around much. The search was concentrated on the slope between the tent and the cedar uh, along the forest border. Using long probes, they found the bodies of Igor Datlov, Zina Komlagrova, and Rustam Slobodin. So those are five our five first bodies. Five first <clears throat> five bodies. First five bodies. Say that five times fast. There were no signs of violence on the bodies, he says, but the cause of death was hypothermia. Um, on the feet were only wool socks, which immediately rose aversion to them having lost control of themselves, which is sometimes also called the infrasound theory, which was disproven because humans can't detect infrasound and they only like nine percent of them feel it and it could also be paradoxical undressing which is the more reasonable theory there um because when one hypothermia happens you 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 um start shivering and you're uncontrollably cold and then um sometimes for some people it progresses to the point where you actually feel extremely warm and you take all your clothes off which is why when you find modern day when you uh hear about a lot of uh young people who like i don't know went to a party and then went out to the woods to walk home they're often found nude. That and meth's a hell of a drug. <laughs> so well, uh, it really depends on where they're found nude, I guess. Um, if you're in Missouri, it's probably meth. Having lost control of themselves, they would have cut the tent up and run out. Axelrod specifically states here, and this is his words, what caused this? Most often it was associated with a bright close flash accompanied by the roar of an explosion but they not speak out loud about it then. And in general, this was confirmed by indirect data. So again, talks about the possibility that there was uh, a phenomenon, maybe ball lightning, that caused them to run out of the tent. Many of a, He talks about how the Mensi people and uh, many of the tourists in the area of the Mountaineers had uh, observed the unnatural glow of celestial objects in the, Ur the Urals in early 1959. The other four was found in the spring when the thaw began. The bodies of the tourists were discovered on firwood in a deep ravine. So firwood had been laid down and the bodies had been placed there. Firwood is also a 1970s boner. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is true. It's they had, true. It is. They had different injuries that were completely inexplic inexplicable and didn't fit the hypothesis, hypotheses put forward. Coilo, Coila, Coloya, Thibo Brignall, the French guy, had the French a guy. had a dent 79 centimeters at the base of his skull. Lubia had symmetrical fractures of five to six ribs. Zolotorov had rib fractures, but on the contrary, everything was on one side of the body. And next to the wounded fur branches was Kolevitov's frozen body. Uh, after the findings in May, the investigation actually seemed to have reached a dead end, uh, giving rise to rumors of the involvement of military in this tragedy. So when you say involvement in military, I mean, are we going to we gonna get deeper into that? I was going to, but I liked the ball lightning theory so much that I decided that I was going to run with that for the rest of this episode. But there claims to be some people who think that the KGB or the Russian military were launching off either rockets or parachute mines in the area of the Urals that time of the uh, of the year. 
they claim that there were no launches between February 1st and February 3rd, which is a real randomly specific time frame to not have launches if you're launching. We were celebrating Groundhog Day. There was no launches those Lots days. Lots of Groundhogs. We were eating Groundhog after because we ran out of potatoes. So there uh, was... Hold on, though. Um, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry to keep cutting you off, but I guess what I'm trying to say is I think all too often we look at situations like these where these um, really strange, unexplainable occurrences happen, and we just want to throw one theory at it and say, okay, this is fucking explained by one thing, one thing only. I think it's more complex than that. I think this is multiple things. I think it's paradoxical undressing. I think it's um, uh, possibly an avalanche, possibly ball lightning, possibly uh, uh, a Soviet launch that they're trying to cover up. But I don't think it's like that one thing like, okay, well, you know, this was just ball lightning and that's what happened. Well, that's where this segment right here that we're doing is going. Okay. We're going right. to combine a couple of things together and we're going to rule out paradoxical undressing. I will tell you that right now. How can you rule that out? It's like a part of hypothermia. Because we're going to rule it out. I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay. I'm int- I'm intrigued. Let's go. All right. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so, uh, Axelrod states in his own words, I have my own theory. Dyatlov organized a storage in the valley. He was intending to return back after a small circle. Having carefully put things that were unnecessary in the cache, the guys unhurriedly began to make a track up the east ridge. In the late afternoon, the weather began to deteriorate. It drizzled and snowed. This was confirmed by weather data. So it was, it was a Did they have close to and above then? freezing at some point. At some point, yes. Okay. The group stayed uh, straight to the left and lost orientation. Everyone was convinced of this because anybody can get lost in a blizzard. Instead of pushing on, they quite correctly decided to lay down for the night. They quietly processed part of the slope. Rammed the site. God, I love this fucking story. Laid the skis down with anchorages and set up the tent. I feel like you should read that part again with some Barry White in the background. Rammed the slope. Laid the skis down. The dire inches of the evening were completely calm and contained neither drama nor anything expecting of one. It is not late. The guys leisurely dine. Remember past travel and someone already plans for the future and they go to bed. The strongest, most experienced, Dyatlov and Zolotoryov, lie, as always, at the sides in the coldest and most uncomfortable places. I think next to Zolotarov lay Luba, then Koila Thibo, Rustic Slobodin, and I don't know who was in the center and beyond, but the four guys at the entrance lay that way, I think, and everyone fell asleep. The positioning of them is important because the four at the front of the tent are the four that were found in the ravine. In the den, as they called it. Deep in the night... Positioning is always um, <clears throat> really important when playing a game of Ookie Cookie as well, so remember that, guys. Deep in the night, when only the hushed blizzard slightly shook the skates of the tent, something happened. The roar, noise, sudden blow of an avalanche on part of the tent. The part of the tent adjacent to the entrance. The other part of the tent, which was under the large cover of a snow ledge, did not suffer. A snow ledge is actually a natural form... Uh, basically, mini mountain of snow. When so, the wind blows it to a when the to, wind blows it to a to certain a peak, point, yeah, okay. Where it had drizzled, it probably had hardened the snow at that point. But it also, you know, when you you know when snow gets wet with rain and whatnot, being from New England, yeah, it gets crunchy. So you have like a you have like a crunchy layer of, of uh, on the you know, on the top. It's like a hard candy shell, you know. So, and then you step in, and there's um. There's he states snow that the avalanche actually pushed over the tent because of the snow ledge, forming basically acted like a ramp. And then uh, it sped down. The four lateral tourists, again, mountaineers, take the blow. The head of the ascetic Thibaut Brignol is pressed into the lens of the camera, which in the absence of the best, Koila often puts under his head. I'm not quite sure what that even means. It's, again, translated from Russian, so it's really difficult to understand some of this stuff. Uh, differences in rib fractures between Dibyanya and Zolotarov are explained by their different positioning during sleep, one on the back and the other on the side. And the, the exit through the entrance was impossible due to the avalanche, so they snatched a knife, cut the tent, and helped everyone get out. Igor decides to return to the, the base camp where there's first aid, warm clothes, and shelter, and down they went. 
again lost in the snowstorm. Uh, they made it to the forest where there was no storage, but under the, the spreading cedar, they realized they did not go where they intended. So, so w- when we had first started this segment <clears throat> 100 years ago, um, we had talked about the fact that um, they were blown off course. Correct. So it stands to reason when they tried to go back the way they came, they obviously lost their Again, they were in a blizzard, yeah. leaving the tent kind of in a rush to seek shelter. And so get it's, back almost, to it. it's almost as if like nature was saying, this whole fucking choice is a bad idea. Right. I mean, the mountain's called Dead Mountain, right? So, yeah. you know, maybe let's just... I just, I think it's just important for, for to refresh people's memory who, uh, you know, who heard last episode, you know, two weeks ago, right. to say, hey, you know, they were, so, they were blown off course. It was already a bad idea to do this trek. I don't know if this was said in the last episode, but you know, we've talked about there was a fire started at the base of the cedar, and there were also branches cut from the cedar. I don't think we covered that. No, so, I think we just went through the timeline like kind of point by point briefly. So in the in the investigation, they made a special note to say that there were branches cut from the cedar. Um, so, because um, it's kind of important for this. Uh, so they they ended up in the forest and at the base of the cedar, they broke forward to lay their their wounded friends down in the ravine. Then they sheltered them from the wind and gave them all their warm clothes. So, so for, they, for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, wilderness survival techniques, uh, one of the things that they teach you, one of the first things they teach you when you're, when you're stuck in a situation out in the snow is to lay down evergreen trees, uh, cut branches off of evergreen trees because it will help insulate you and keep you warm in those situations. So that's why they did it. It wasn't just like, you know, to make a soft bed. The evergreen trees actually help insulate on top of the snow because snow, if you build a snow shelter... You could build an entire shelter out of snow to keep yourself warm, and it can actually raise the temperature inside to about 50 degrees as long as you pack the snow correctly. So between packing the snow correctly and laying down the evergreen trees, you can actually have a fairly comfortable night's sleep in a snow shelter. So uh, they laid the firwood down and laid their friends down on it in the ravine to keep them sheltered from the wind. They gave them all the warm clothes and then tried to make the fire. This is uh, Brignol Dice, Datlov, Komlagrov, and Rustic Slobodin went to go to return to the tent and see if they could get some more clothes uh, or maybe try and reach the shelter. It's not known what happened between then and there, but the three of them died leaving the cedar, heading back towards the tent. So this leaves a couple questions. Why wasn't the tent swept away in the avalanche? Um, When they found the tent, it was very, very weakly stretched and having taken the the blow remained in place. Only part of the tent actually took the blow of the avalanche, the part where four people had slept. Um, Why did they leave barefoot? So this is very important. Um, He says, I can explain. Down there is a steep slope, which is crazy to descend in total darkness in slippery ski boots. Ski boots had no traction. And after all, they thought they were going back to their base camp to be able to resupply and get fresh warm clothes that were there. Okay. That's actually, <clears throat> so that would, that, it kind of solves a lot of the problem. So it's, you know, as you were saying, not paradoxical undressing. They but at the same time, I mean, when you, when you think about it though, the worst clothes for the situation are still better than no clothes for the situation. Correct. So to me, it seems a little strange that they would leave in wool socks to go walk around in fucking snow. And if, what was it, 30 below if, at this point? If you're carrying four bodies, you want traction. And but that's so, the other thing I don't understand. And they all have wool socks on. I mean, Why would you bother carrying four people you know to be dead? Well, they didn't know they were dead. They they don't think they died until they were you know, dead in the ravine. I know, but they're not cavemen. I mean, they understand... At they this were point injured. in the 50s, the, I mean, the knowledge, general knowledge existed that somebody, if they died, they, they don't breathe anymore. You can at least test that. Well, I mean, broken ribs aren't going to be a, a dead body. You're not Just because you broke six ribs on either side of your body, you're not going to... But I guess that's what I'm trying to figure you. out is, is, did they know they were dead? Probably not. And if they did know they were dead, wouldn't you want to... You know, make sure you had your friends come out with you. Yeah, after I survived. Well, I mean... <laughs> after I got warm clothes and boots on my feet so I don't also die of hypothermia. These are the same, That's why it's so... These are some of the same people that one was shot, in, like, in the leg by a rifle, and then the other one was fucking 
bit by a viper. And well, there's did... there's something to be said for being Billy Badass, but there's also something to be said for and being a fucking shoes. smart person. Right. You know, it, had they not carried these dead bodies, they probably very well could have survived. Some of them, at least. I mean, they, they very carefully laid them on Furwood. This is, I mean, this is very well... But still, what I'm, what I'm trying so, to say is, in an emergency situation, these these people are, are not helpable. What, they can't fix them. And do they know that back then? You also can't see shit because it's a blizzard. So, you know... Okay. You can't assess injuries in darkness. Well, I mean, kudos to the half-buried flashlight for not helping anyone. No shit. All right, so uh, this, this is kind of tragic, but... Um, he says, you know what shocked me most about this story was when Kurvashenko's mother asked, tell me, did Yuri die as a man? And he said, I, they died with dignity. Um, the only thing that we don't know is what caused the avalanche in the first place. And Axelrod says, I can't say what caused the avalanche, be it mystic forces, military testing, or something else. I think this is where we're going to use this ball lightning theory. The ball lightning probably struck off some of this avalanche, caused them to flee the tent. So what makes you think the... it was ball lightning that caused an avalanche? Well, because uh, it's, it's very well known that there was, there was this phenomenon, the moving orbs across the sky, the way that people talk about how the orbs moved horizontally across the sky uh, makes it seem to me like ball lightning acts the same way. It's very possible they actually decided to run for the tree line instead of the storage facility. But I guess what I'm confused about is how does a ball of lightning, which probably can't be very heavy, affect an avalanche? Wouldn't it melt, wouldn't it melt the snow? If it would melt the snow in some sense. If it strikes and it's got the force to throw four or five people like they talked about in the previous theory. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, so you make a good point. It, that's, that, I guess that's what I was trying to figure out is what, was it, what, what triggered the avalanche because it wasn't the ball itself. It, you know, if right, it struck, no, but, okay. Because so it would hit some moisture, there would also be some steam, of course. But a branch of a tree that fell and... But the other thing is, wouldn't there be wouldn't there be some kind of point of impact that would be visible? Not 12 days after the incident when they found them. Okay. When you consider they didn't find them for 10 or 11 days, it was okay. a blizzard when they left the tent. I mean, you know, and then they talk about how the tree line was had these weird burns on it. Oh, yeah. Good point. So... I didn't. You, I, you, I I completely forgot that part because that was. Um, you you figure you know that ten days is a lot of time. And no, that's good. The that, other bodies four months later, whatever May. Can, I think we would be. I think we would be remiss not to discuss the parachute mine thing really quickly. So parachute mine theory was something that I read quickly. Uh, it's not a very popular theory, but it is there. The Russians at the time were testing parachute mines, as as you can imagine, was during the Cold War. Uh, Parachute mines actually explode with a concussive force at a certain rate above the ground, sending the concussive force down. So it's very possible that a flying, you know, plane flying over uh, had dropped these parachute mines. It's very possible the wind had taken them off their course because they're fucking parachutes um, and brought them over towards the, the Dyatlov 9. Okay. Um, it's very possible that a the concussive force of a parachute mine could have set off an avalanche. And so theoretically parachute mines could have caused the avalanche, but they explode and send down. They don't explode and stay exploding across the sky in a horizontal fashion, which was what made me change. Cause I originally had thought, you know, parachute mines, this explains a lot. But it don't, so it doesn't, the um, the doesn't the ski patrol in, in, Back in the day, didn't didn't they trigger avalanches with dynamite? Um, there's a there's a rifle round that'll trigger an avalanche. But that's what I'm trying to say is that you know we're talking about ball lightning, which is an incredibly rare phenomenon, versus parachute mines that the Soviet Union was notoriously famous for being quiet about. And then for them to say, no, 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 it wasn't parachute mines. We didn't do anything for this time period to that time period. Just kind of based on everything else, I think it would be remiss of us to say, oh, it had to be ball lightning, the most rare thing in the world that no one in the world has really seen, versus... So what gives... Because the concussive... I mean, the, the... The concussive blast of a mine yeah, but what is going to be strong enough. But what what gives the tree line the burn? And that's that's the only thing I keep going back to is I don't think the, the parachute mines are going to... If the mine went off by the tree, then it was going to get the burn. 
lots of trees. I mean, yeah, this, this could have if been, they drop multiple parachute mines. This yeah, could have absolutely. Been, this could have been two mines that blew up. But we're also causes. talking about we're also talking about a time period in in the history of the world where we're dropping thousands of bombs. We're not dropping two bombs. We're dropping large bombs that have thousands of little ones inside it. This is a time in our history where we were dropping a lot of ordnance versus dropping targeted ordnance like we do nowadays. Yeah, I mean, it's it's possible that it was military testing. There were secret launches all the time. Uh, it could have been the spent stages of a rocket. Yeah, and I'm not saying that this is exactly what happened. I'm just saying I think we would be remiss to just say it was ball lightning, which is one of the most rare phenomenon in the natural world, versus the likelihood that the Soviet Union was testing weapons to fight their mortal enemy you in think the 1950s. If, you think if they were testing concussive mines... Uh, they would find some shrapnel or something. That was the only other thing that I but could think the of. The other thing is you also have to think of the nature of the Soviet Union and their willingness to hide evidence. From five different groups of searchers? I just think Versus that- hiding evidence of an entire fucking spacecraft burning up, coming into our atmosphere. The ham radio operators across the world picked it up and the Soviet Union still denied it until recently. I'm just saying there's multiple options. I'm not saying that's exactly what happened. I'm just saying, you know, it would be unfair not to not to entertain the idea. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, I mean, you're you're right. Um look up look up ham radio operators in the 1960s Soviet Union launches. You'll hear about um, a very sad story about a poor young woman who's uh launched into space and her uh, spacecraft failed and as she was coming back to to Earth she was burning up, and the Soviets said nothing as she as she burned up and died in that spacecraft. So it's it's a very sad and touching uh, story, but it's it's even more disturbing recording. Uh, check it out. I believe it's um Soviet space capsule. Google like Soviet space capsule on burning up, and you guys will hear something pretty disturbing. So definitely don't listen to it with kids around. All right, um, we should go to break. We uh we still got Maynard's theory. Yep. And uh, he's very excited. He's actually in costume for it. So we're going to see what happens. Yep. No, ready to go. I'm concerned. I'm a little concerned, but at the same time, he's not masturbating, and that's kind of... It's a win. It's a a good thing when Maynard stops. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. Famous Monsters. Celebrating horror, sci-fi, and fantasy genres since 1958. Their annual magazine is available now, along with new apparel released every month. Follow them on social media at Famous Monsters, and check out their entire catalog at CaptainCo.com. Alright, so, we're back. We've covered two very kind of scientific theories. And now um, we're going to let Maynard talk for a minute. You make it seem like Maynard may not have a scientific theory. This is the guy that brought up, this is the guy that brought saw, up Nazis on the moon, just to be clear. I, I saw these come from scientific websites that I've, I did some of this research on, and I'm not... I'm not against the. I'm just very, because I'm it has very, the word science in it doesn't make it a scientific. No, it website. was it was discovery, and I'm very intrigued by the ball lightning thing. I'm not gonna. You lie. said discovery. Yeah. If this, this is about sharks, I'm gonna be super mad. No, no, no. This didn't take place during Shark Week. Okay. Um, Wait. So this all right, is, then continue. These are the same people that gave us Sharknado. No, 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 no. no, that's, no, no sci-fi. That, that's sci-fi. Oh, all right, cool. Glad. No, no. This is way more legit than than sci-fi. Though Sharknado was a fantastic film. Um, I wouldn't call it a film. I'd call it a a thing that happened. Hey, did, don't whatever. Just don't talk about Ian Ziering in any bad way. No, he's a beautiful man. He's great. He's great. He looks like he's about to invade Poland. Yes, I mean, I mean, he's seventy-two. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah, I did. I'm yeah, pretty sure his 70. next stop is the secret moon base, or Antarctica. Yeah, well, yeah whatever. With Sarah yeah, Palin. He's, he looks great for a seventy-two-year-old man. I'm not gonna lie. Okay. Um. So th- th- we we talked about multiple multiple things were going on at once. Yeah, multiple theories. It's not just one yeah, theory. It's multiple right. Theories. So there's no okay. way that it could have just been any one thing. Uh huh. So uh, one thing that does exist up around there, and again, I saw this on the Discovery Channel and and on Snopes. Snopes. Um, yeah. So it's pretty legit. Um, hold on. Before you continue, did Snopes prove or disprove it? Um, it was on Snopes. So okay. Um, 
I, I didn't get that far. I think I just read the headline. But if you we, were seen we, there. We haven't we haven't talked about Yetis because they're known the coolest, to be the the things you put your beer. No, in? no, like the like the abominable snowman type Yetis. You know, Harry and the Hendersons type things. Oh Jesus! Yes. Christ. So okay. I, I mean, they're kind of like the you know up there. They're like the the polar bears of Bigfoots. The quick question: the, Harry the and the Hendersons. Bear. Harry and the Hendersons. The polar bears of Bigfoot. Can we hold on one second for the, the polar bears of Bigfoot? Yeah, like no, no. Yeah, I have like, questions like, like, too. You know, like a Harry white yeti. You ever see the Boston Yeti like that? But like a real one. Answer my question: Harry and the Hendersons documentary, fictional movie, your choice. Uh, it was based on a true story. It was. Oh, uh, I understand Christ. that John Lithgow was is not. You know, he's so a real we're, person. We're gonna get squatchy. For this next segment. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> Discovery Channel, it's on Snopes. And if you, you know, frame, I believe it was number 34 of the photos found on, I forget which gentleman had the picture, had the camera. Well, there were, there were two cameras? Yes. Uh, so you'd have to... Uh. But I think it was frame number 34. And there was a clear shadowy figure in the background. But he could only be a Yeti. He could only be a Yeti. He's huge. Wait, wait, wait. And what, and what so if, I'm, I'm looking at the picture because I, I have the website up. Yeah. Not. Frame 17 from the French guy's camera. Is that the one you're talking about? Oh, maybe the, maybe it was. Yes, where the, where the guy's like right in the middle. And he, so he kind of has like that Bigfoot pose. So the picture of the blurry person. Yeah. yeah. That could be a Yeti. You think it's a Yeti? He's, he's big enough. I mean, because if you... If you think about it, all these injuries that, the, that these people had, you know, like the ribs smashed and everything, Yeti could have picked them up and threw them. And they're gonna and, and if a Yeti enters your tent, you're not going, you're not gonna try to get out of the tent. Oh, you can get away from the Yeti. You're gonna cut your way through that. You're gonna scratch and claw because so that stupid Yeti can't get you. Oh, what, what if it was multiple Yetis? Multiple Yetis. Ha- Harry and the Hendersons. There was the whole family. I'm pretty sure the plural of Yeti is Yeti. It's like moose. Moose. Yeah. All right. Well, Mises. Wh- you know, it's not Mises. No, it's, it's just moves. Multiple. Yeah. Ye- well, what if there were multiple Yeti? Could have happened. Um, or or that picture you're talking about is just a guy coming down a slope with some skis, and he was out of focus. I can't see any skis at all. It's well, just... I mean, it's because you can't see where his feet are. Right, because he's so tall that you, you don't even see them. Like you're just looking up at like the only is basically like above his knees. The only thing is the Yetis focus are huge. There's... They're like eight feet tall, nine feet tall. So you're telling me? Yeah, I told you, Discovery Channel, Snopes. I I saw, you know. Did this did, did did this Discovery Channel actually say that there was a Yeti? They said that it's been theorized, just like every other theory that we've talked about. It's been theorized because nobody knows, so you can't prove it wasn't a Yeti. Is really all I'm all I'm saying. Just like I can't prove that Nazis landed on the moon first. Exactamundo. Um. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. If these guys were so prepared, why didn't they have some uh, Jack Link's beef jerky? Why didn't they have a gun? Oh, you couldn't have a gun back then. Filet of fish. You had to Filet of fish is what got Harry and the Hendersons. They had to register the knives. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I'm just saying, they, they, they had knives that they had to register. They, they weren't even supposed to have two cameras. The Russian government wasn't going to give them a gun. Yeah, and one snuck a picture of a possible Yeti. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. A Yeti. Okay. Look, like I said, I, li- I like the ball lightning theory, and, the, you know, a, a, it looks like some sort of an avalanche could have happened. Multiple things. A Yeti could have caused a goddamn avalanche. Yeti's shaking down a tree to get them, you know, and... The... Yeti's shaking down a tree. Is that what the what? sound of an avalanche is? <laughs> yeah, I mean, all you, I think so. Yeah, you only I mean, need a little bit of... If, inter- I, if I was to think the word avalanche, I would go... You only need a little bit of interruption, and, you know, you got an avalanche up there in a blizzard. Okay. I like to think the sound of an avalanche might be like a... The theme in the tunnel of the Mario soundtrack, like doo 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 doo, just bad news, just so, bad news all around. So if you if you're ever on a mountain and you start hearing the Mario Brothers World One Two sound, take cover. All right. Well, that was just the worst. So I think we've covered a number of things. Ended on a strong note there. Thanks. We've covered Yetis. Um, 
I think next episode we let Maynard lead off. Yeah, I think we're going to let him lead off this time. Uh, next right, episode. Okay. Uh, no pressure. We don't know what the next episode is, but tune in because I'm sure it's going to be uh, more Nazis and Yetis. Um, so, uh, Jordan, anything to add? Check out Famous Monsters. Yeah, check out Famous Monsters. Check out the TheBrandedSports.com. Please, please buy our T-shirts. Um, you will be helping the show immensely. Or go to our Patreon at Patreon slash Sarge the Destroyer. Um, we've got a number of great tiers. Um, All I'm saying is I've spent $10 on worse. I'm, I've, I'm I've very much looking forward on, to this song. I've spent $10 on, on um, just general nonsense and uh, felt really bad about it. Um, you bought a. Uh, let's you, talk about our tears real quick. We'll just let's just go over the tears real quick. But you bought a wind up toy like of a nurse that spit sparks, or not he, a nurse. It, it was a, a nun actually. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. So I mean, if he can it was spend, a fiery nun. She was she was re, she really believed in us in her shit. If he can spend ten bucks on a street vendor, you could spend ten bucks on Patreon. All right, so yeah. I just privates. Yeah, I said it. Five dollars per month. It's a monthly shout out on Citizens Guide to the Supernormal. If you're not a, if you're not comfortable with making a monthly commitment, you can just donate a one time five dollars, and we'll give you a shout out. Uh, we've got special specialists on top of the monthly podcast shout out. I will create a one time special video where I either roast you or compliment you. Uh, is that dealer's choice or is that it's 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 the the buyer's choice. And then um, when we get to uh, the twenty five dollar tier, it's sassy sergeants. You get access to special monthly mini-sodes where we read you a children's book. We promise to teach Maynard how to read. I can, I can, I'll get there. I can get there. He can get Is there. That the, that's the only it. reason he read the headline. He has, a, he has a lot of trouble with TH. He doesn't know whether it's th or th. It depends. And CH too. Me. Yeah, he keeps saying thieves. It's thieves. Thieves. Oh. Yeah. Um... The, the next tier is a $50 per month. That just makes you a fucking field marshal. We're going to write you a song. We originally wrote that as a joke, but then somebody did it, so now it's a thing we're going to do. Is, wait, per month? Per month, but there's only 20 slots. 50 per month. $50 per month. Ooh, is that, that a one-time thing, too? It's a one-time thing. If you want to do a one-time thing, I won't be mad. We'll write you a song. There's only 20 slots Do you 20 get a new song month. every month? Well, yeah. Well, yeah, if you're doing it monthly, sure. Yeah, you got to provide a subject for us to sing about, though. I'm not going to do all the work for you. And you so if you, I spend $50 monthly, I could have you write a song for me every month about a different subject? Sure. Absolutely not, because you're on the show. All right. Yeah, not you. Okay. If you donate $100 per month, that's Rear Admiral uh, status. Uh-huh. I will review an episode of your favorite TV show or something in under two minutes. I mean, it's $100. We can negotiate. If you donate $1,000, you get promoted to civilian. I will do a video where I say a list of any 20 words you want. <laughs> um, can, we go back, ten, can we go back for on, a second? Hold on, give hold me a second. I just, I just want to go back real quick. Yeah. So when you say you'll review anyone's favorite episode or review someone's favorite TV it has show. It to be a TV show. <clears throat> has to, you said something. That leaves the door open to say I mean, like, it's $100. We can negotiate. So like... If somebody wanted you to review Debbie Does Dallas in two minutes? Done. I'm in. Harry Cumshot. Done. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> All right. Um, so then for for $10,000, um, well, it's 10000 So I guess we call you Daddy. And uh, we'll travel to your house, get drunk with you, read you a bedtime story, and Maynard will tuck you in while we sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. We'll even make him take off the gimp mask just to make it more comfortable. And then for fourteen thousand nine hundred ninety-nine dollars, we're gonna fire Jordan, and you're the new producer. That's a monthly thing. Yeah, to keep it's that up. monthly. It's got to be monthly. We gotta pay for you, you know. All right, so um, I'm Saj at Bastard Prophet. I'm also at uh, Saj the Destroyer on Instagram. Maynard is at Maynard Rules on Twitter. Also Instagram. Uh, Maynard Rules as well. I don't have any photos up there yet, but we'll get there. Okay. All right, and then uh, Jordan, of course, is at uh, CG, CG Super, Super Jordan. Jordan. And uh, soon to be Maynard's Privates. Or no, what? Uh, Sarge's Privates. Privates. <laughs> on, on, uh, on Instagram. I love it. Sarge's okay, Privates. and then follow the show, of course, at C underscore G underscore Supernormal. And uh, that's where we'll drop uh, show information. Please read the blog at uh, thebrandedsports.com. You'll follow see Ball Lightning. Branded underscore sports on Twitter. And then... Um, 
Oh, one more quick thing. We want to wish happy birthday to Meg from Michigan. Meg, we love you. You've been a big supporter since the very beginning of uh, our first show, Misguided Musings. And then another shout out to Danielle, who bought, uh, she's the first person to buy a CGS shirt. Oh, wow. Cool. She's going to send us a picture. Danielle, we love you. You've been following the show for goddamn forever. She's been listening to us since we were Misguided Musings, so thank you. Thank you. I got nothing else, so I'm going to go um, buy some glass rods, I guess. This is where we break into Yankee Candle. Yeah, we're going to go break into yeah, Yankee Candle. I need candle. Some good smells. I'm going to smell so much. Just digging my nose in. Who's got the duct tape? Are we doing the ESMR thing again? Yeah, ESMR. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for listening to the show. You're the, you're the best. I love you. Seven people just came. Just to be <laughs> get a towel.